This is Chris. Welcome to episode 341 of X-Laps, where it feels very, very bizarre to be back behind the, uh, the microphone. Um, we're kicking off a new era today uh, here on the show, and it's a new era that, uh, well, I kind of pulled myself out of what I thought for a moment was going to be my deathbed in order to uh, perform it here. Uh, those folks who uh, have the uh, misfortune of knowing me socially will... Uh, already know that uh, I am getting over a whopping dollop of, uh, of the COVID. Um, was down for uh, over a week. Just, uh, boy, uh, I, I don't recommend it. Um, if anybody's curious about the COVID, uh, don't get it. Do whatever you can not to. It's weird. I've, uh, I'm triple vaxxed. Uh, wear, usually wear the mask everywhere I go. Um, it, it, you know, when I think about the circumstances under which uh, the, the wife and I both uh, got it uh, over the past couple of weeks. And um, I compare it to the stories that you'd hear about, like, uh, the uh, the high school girl who uh, does it once and gets pregnant, you know? Um, and, and it's a weird uh, comparison to make for, for sure. But, uh, you know, I mentioned, you know, we're both vaccinated. Um, we both wear the mask when we're out. We social distance. We do all the stuff we're told we're supposed to do. And then we went on vacation and decided, eh, you know, let's throw caution to the wind here. Let's, uh, you know, maybe not be as uh, on top of things as we uh, normally are. And, boy, we uh, we paid for it. <laughs> we paid for it in spades here. Uh, it was a pretty brutal time here. And it's weird, the first day that I was kind of back feeling like a real human again... Um, you know, first thing I wanted to do was uh, was read Immortal X-Men and write a script. And that's uh, well, one of the first things I did, which I don't know if that's sad, pathetic, or uh, endearing in some sort of way, but here we are. We are here. We are in the Destiny of X officially. And uh, I really uh, can't wait to, uh, to get into this one. And this is kind of serving as like a uh, test recording in a way because... Um, you know, I, I've got a really bad cough, so I'm trying to see how long I can go without having to, you know, stop the recording and clear my throat. So we're going to see how this goes here, because I do have some recording set up with uh, other folks in the next few days uh, and, and into the next week. So I want to make sure that I can do it before I fully commit and, and waste everybody's time in trying to do so. Now, before we kick things off officially, I just wanted to uh, do a little primer here for the show. Uh, as this is a new era, and I think there may be uh, some folks who might be Krakoa curious again. Uh, after, uh, you know, the couple of years we've had before, this is sort of 
as good a jumping on point as any, and um, I figure it's also perhaps a uh, jumping on point for listeners of the show. So just wanted to give a little bit of a uh, quick and dirty inch deep mile wide on what X-Lapsed truly is. Now it was, and perhaps still is, a very selfish project uh, created by a man who um, was looking for a sort of kind of tangible reason to re-engage with his comic books. After being an X-Men fan for the better part of 30 years, I had walked away during the uh, during the blue, gold, red, black era. I found that to be uh, particularly unreadable, and I finally walked away. I decided to come back with the uh, post-Hoxpox uh, Dawn of X stuff, and uh, if anybody knows me, you know that I don't just dip a toe in. I, I go, you know, whole hog. I'm all in. So I started ordering every single book that was coming out, pre-ordering and all that stuff, and... Uh, well, they piled up. I just never really had the incentive to uh, to read it, and so I did what uh, you know us comics content creative people do. I kind of turned it into a multitasker, you know, reading it as well as uh, having some sort of a maybe not so much a product, but something, <laughs> something coming of it here, something transformative that I could uh, participate in and perform. So. That was the genesis of X-Lapsed uh, about two years ago is when I kicked it off here, and here we are, um, you know, approaching 350 episodes. It's been mostly every day, at least until uh, recently, especially, you know, very, very recently. It's kind of just gone away for a bit uh, with the uh, vacation and the illness, but it's back now. I'm, I'm hoping to do, I don't know if I'm going to do this like in seasons, you know, where it's not going to be something that has to be every day forever on. <laughs> it could be... And maybe we'll do five here, and we'll take a couple days off, and then we'll do another five, or we'll do ten, and then we'll take a you know a week off. So I can't say for certain what it's going to be. All I can say is that it will be a thing that happens <laughs> every now and again. But uh, in addition to just you know coming back into the X fandom, another goal or another thing that I set out to do with this program is to have honest discourse, honest discussion. Um, this isn't going to be a show where I just rank everything 10 out of 10, perfect, brilliant genius uh, in order to, you know, get free stuff from Marvel or to become friendly or chummy with creatives. That's not what this show is about. This show is about our opinions because at the end of the day, I'm just a fan with a microphone and I try to not present myself as anything more than that. My opinions are what they are. They're no more important than anybody's. They're probably less important than anybody's. I, I, generally speaking, value other people's opinions far more than I value my own. So that's what I want this show to be, and that's what I've always wanted this show to be, just a discussion. We can talk about things. We can agree. We can disagree. Uh, there's going to be books that we cover that I absolutely adore and beg you all to go buy multiple copies of. There are going to be some books that uh, <laughs> I will probably recommend you don't, and then there'll be some books that I probably don't have a strong opinion on either way, because that's just kind of the way this whole reviewing or analysis game goes, and uh, that's probably the way it ought to go. Now, if you were a seasoned X-Lapsed listener, uh, well, first, thank you very, very much for uh, keeping me company and for the support. Things might be a little bit different moving forward. Um, I had a, I guess, episode length that I was aiming for. I wanted to do about a half hour every episode. I, I aimed for no less than 22 minutes for every episode here, which sometimes resulted in me vamping 
or going off topic or expanding on ideas that probably didn't need expanding. And I've come to the conclusion that uh, not only was I wasting your time, I was wasting my own time. So from this point on, shows are going to go as long as they're going to go. It's going to be as far as the discussion is warranted is uh, about as long as the shows will go. Today, we do have a very, very meaty book to discuss. So this one might be a little bit longer than usual. Plus, I'm rambling for you know the first 10 minutes of it to welcome people to the program. So... Maybe, uh, you know, in the coming episodes, that might be a little bit shorter every now and again. It'll all be a uh, case-by-case basis, but uh, I think that's probably all the pre-ramble I got. If I think anything, I'll, you know, throw it in at the end. But uh, I've had to stop the recording um, about 18 times to this point, which, that's not ideal, I tell you what. That is really not ideal, but... Onward and upward, right? Um, Let's get into the book. Today, of course, we are kicking off the Destiny of X era in earnest with Immortal X-Men number one. Set a May 2022 cover date, the story is called Part One, The Left Hand. Written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Wernick, colors David Curiel, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, edits Amaro White-Sabalski, cover price $6. This one went on sale March 30th of 2022. Wow, we're in July right now. I've I've become re-exlapsed, haven't I? Anyway, let's do something a little different here and actually discuss the cover, um, which, I mean, when you look at it, it's uh, pretty obviously a riff on The Last Supper, you know, painted by Leonardo da Vinci somewhere at the end of the, would it be the 15th century? The 1400s, isn't that the 15th century? I, I never know. Anyway, This painting represents the Last Supper of Jesus Christ with his apostles, as told during the Gospel of John, specifically the moment after Jesus reveals that one of his apostles will betray him. So, uh, well, let's try matching our characters up here, see if there's anything uh, telling about this. Maybe there's some code. Hmm. And, of course, this is all with apologies, because I am not a theologian. (laughs) Now, from left to right, Colossus is stood in for Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew, in The Last Supper, was surprised at the revelation. He was also known as Nathaniel, perhaps a continuity error in the New Testament, which uh, makes me wonder how many editors were on that thing anyway. Now, Storm, she stood in as James the Less, or James, son of Alphaeus. I think Alphaeus. Now, James the Less was also surprised at this revelation. And in another odd bit of continuity, James the Less was only mentioned four times in the Bible. And actual biblical scholars were forced to connect these dots to, you know, make it this person. Nightcrawler is Andrew. Andrew, he was also surprised by the revelation. He was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he was said to have been crucified on an X-shaped cross in 60 AD. You know, like that uh, famous uh, Wolverine crucifixion there back in uh, the Yontback days. Uh, Mr. Sinister is Judas Iscariot. Duh. Uh, Now, Judas, of course, is one of the possible origin stories for DC's Phantom Stranger, and he was the betrayer of Jesus. In the painting, Judas is knocked over like a thing of salt. Here, Sinister is knocked over a wine glass. Now, as in the painting, Sinister is the only person with his elbows on the table. Exodus is St. Peter, and he's wearing a flaming halo here. Uh, That's Exodus, not St. Peter. Uh, St. Peter would deny Jesus three times that night. Now, I'm unsure if Exodus will do any denying or even who he'd be denying to. Death is here, sat in John's seat. 
And this is death is in, you know, that, uh, that one that, that Thanos loves, right? Now, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, there is no Jesus analog in this scene, the Immortal X-Men cover. There is just an empty chair, but we will know who will fill that seat by the end of this issue. Now, Death is not a member of the Quiet Council, duh, but you gotta assume immortality might, you know, get under their skin just a little bit. As mentioned, Jesus' seat is empty. There is a phoenix emblem on the chair, so, uh, hey, maybe the Avengers are gonna get involved. After all, the phoenix is and always has been theirs, right? Okay, okay, I'm kidding. Now, um, also, there are three claw marks on the back of the seat, and, finally, uh, sat before the empty seat is Magneto's helmet. Sebastian Shaw is doubting Thomas. Thomas was, uh, well, doubting when he heard that Jesus resurrected three days after his crucifixion. In the original painting, Thomas has a finger raised, as if to uh, foreshadow his incredulity... Incredulity? I don't know how. I, I, I know what the word means. I just can't say it. Uh, his uh, not believing <laughs> in resurrection, I guess. Uh, now, Shaw's finger is also raised, though he doesn't have much reason to doubt, does he? I mean, he knows about resurrection. Emma Frost is James the Greater, son of Zebedee. Now, James the Greater was one of the first disciples of Jesus. His arms are outspread on the painting, as Emma's are here. Call Me Kate is Philip. Now, Philip appears to want an explanation in the painting, as Kitty does here. Professor X is St. Matthew. St. Matthew was originally a tax collector who would be called to follow Jesus, and he is leaning towards Simon, or destiny, in this painting, or in this cover. Mystique is St. Jude Thaddeus, theorized by some as being Jesus' brother. Might also be the brother of James, or maybe the son of James. Do we have any editors here? Anybody? Anybody paying attention? I don't know. Now, it's worth saying, I'm not sure if these mentions in the New Testament are supposed to be literal or not. Like I said, I, I ain't no theologian. Anyway, Mystique, like Xavier, is lent towards Simon, again, Destiny. She's also holding a pair of eyeballs in her left hand. Now, Destiny is Simon the Zealot, who appears to know stuff, as Xavier and Mystique are looking for, to them for answers. Now, Destiny, of course, would be a pretty good fit for this role. Now, the tablecloth in the Da Vinci painting is white with blue stripes, colors usually associated with the Jewish people. Here, the tablecloth is white with tealish X motifs. Now, older depictions of this scene feature all of the figures minus Judas having halos, and again, Exodus is the only person in our cover with one. In modern times, of course, people believe that there are hints or, you know, <clears throat> code in the original mural. Here, we've uh, got some... Uh, Maybe some code. I don't know. We've got some Iraqi folks on the fringes. We got a Krakoan gateway depicting Mars in the background, which doesn't look to be the best mode of travel, unless uh, you're looking to end up in the vacuum of space because it's just a full shot of the planet with like a, like a, uh, maybe a comet going towards it. Uh, Lockheed is there flying over Kitty, and I, uh, well, I don't think there are any tiny dragons in the New Testament. Maybe the Old Testament. I don't know. Uh, the food on the table doesn't appear to be significant, though I might be wrong. Uh, unless, you know, there there is a lobster in front of Emma. It's green. Maybe it's Bill the Lobster? I don't know. Stranger things have happened. Uh, Marvel Girl and Cyclops's eyewear, or, you know, headgear, is on the floor in front of the table for some reason. There are also a pair of ruby quartz shades on the table in front of Destiny. And maybe Maggot's buddies, Eenie and Meenie, or Maggot's uh, digestive system, I should say, Eenie and Meenie, are there on the floor lapping up the spilt wine. Maybe, maybe not, but um, 
think that's enough of the cover for now. Let's uh, actually crack this thing open and see what's inside. Now we open in Paris. The year is 1919. This scene feels like a callback to the Millennium Fair bench scene between Xavier and Mora that we've seen like a dozen times by now. However, instead of Chuck sitting down, it's Mr. Sinister. He's reading a newspaper addressing the end of the war and peace for all times. He's approached by, well, not Mora McTaggart, but Destiny. They chat for a bit, and it's clear that Irene doesn't trust Essex, nor should she. They call back to 20 years earlier during a concert at the St. James Hall, wherein she had a fit when she heard a composition called Nimrod by a Mr. Elgar. Now, this is a legit thing. Edward Elgar's ninth Enigma variation was indeed called Nimrod. Now, of course, this is not a reference to the big pink marshmallow robot, but the biblical hunter from out of the Old Testament. Nimrod was the son of Crush and the great-grandson of Noah. And yeah, that Noah. Nimrod commissioned the construction of the Tower of Babel, which gave him the reputation of being rebellious against God. Irene then reveals that there will be no peace. There's a war coming. She whispers something into Sinister's ear, which causes him to pause. Well, actually, <laughs> he chokes and collapses, and he starts repeating your ghost several times. It's worth noting, John Cole has an album called Paris 1919, which was published in 1973, and the titular song has a refrain of You're a Ghost. It's actually You're a Ghost, la 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 la. Mystique then enters the scene. You know, back around the turn of the century, in early issues of Extreme X-Men, Chris Claremont did reveal that Destiny and Mystique had been in cahoots going back to the Victorian era, so this fits. From here, we get our double-page spread of roll call and cred, and it's, uh, well, it's the Quiet Council, and they're broken up in their four quarters. Autumn is Professor X, Magneto, and Destiny. Summer, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus. Spring, Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, and Call Me Kate. Winter, Exodus, Mr. Sinister, and Mystique. Back to comics and the present. Now, Mr. Sinister is our narrator, and he will be for the rest of the issue. He speaks of Krakoa as the city on the hill. Now, that's a phrase derived from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel of Matthew. And you know what? If this keeps up, we might all be fake-ass theologians by the end of this issue. Uh, now, notably, John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan would both evoke this saying during their respective presidential campaigns. Sinister compares Krakoa to Utopia, the, the other island, and it's basically saying that there's no comparison at all. Utopia, of course, was that other, 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 other time the X-Men tried having an island nation gimmick. So, yeah, kids, uh, Hickman didn't really invent that. Anyway, Sinister heads to his super-secretist lab, where he's dutifully been working on his chimera. Now, we see a uh, large tortoise with a sinister diamond in its head, and also a cat wearing a cyclops visor, also with a sinister diamond in its head. Now, he checks in on his progress and deduces that he's got 25 logs of something brewing. Now, this will all be revealed at the end of the issue. Uh, sinister also recalls what day it is, as he knows what's about to happen. And he does tell himself to remember to act surprised when all is revealed. That revelation is that... Magneto is retiring. He's quitting the Quiet Council and moving up to Marzarocco. Sinister is narrating this scene for us. Uh, he's gauging the reactions of his fellow counselors, who he initially refers to as being his prey before correcting himself to refer to them as his peers. Xavier is unsurprisingly disappointed. Emma is less so. In fact, she seems pleased to be rid of Eric altogether. 
Sebastian Shaw smirks and doesn't seem to be all that concerned. Kitty raises some sort of objection that we don't get to hear. Exodus is annoyed that Magneto is abandoning his cause again. Sinister here reveals that he's petrified of Exodus, because Exodus doesn't really care for Sinister, you see, uh, since Sinister himself elected to become a mutant. You know, something-something Thunderbird's red shoes. Storm's not surprised. Sinister assumes that Magneto checked with her before announcing he'd leave to head to Mars Arako, since she is the regent, of course. Sinister also mentions that Storm doesn't like him because he used to be very racist. Now, Sinister claims to have surgically removed his racism because, and, and this is pretty funny, he, uh, he sees himself as better than anybody, so why get into the weeds of race? It's, you know, it works for him. Uh, Colossus does not emote. Uh, Sinister reveals that he knows about the Chronicler nonsense from over in X-Force, you know, the Chronicler basically controlling Colossus's actions and reactions and whatnot. Uh, Nightcrawler's here. He doesn't really do much, but he has a really ugly goatee. Mystique is so disinterested, she just turns to Destiny. She's about done with Eric anyway. Uh, Destiny, she just sits there, and she stares in Sinister's direction, which reminds him that he's supposed to be acting surprised. And so he slams his hands on the table and lets out a great big what? Which (laughs) is pretty hilarious. Um, Now, since this is Sinister, nobody even notices the hammy overacting, because they've just come to expect this from him. Now, Xavier expresses that he wishes Eric would reconsider. Magneto and Emma briefly get into it. It might be worth noting that Emma's hair is now about down to her waist, so I guess we can assume this is five years after Inferno. Yeah, I know. I know I'm the only person who wants these characters to have a consistent look in these books. I apologize. I'm sorry. Anyway, Emma suggests that Magneto's resignation go into effect immediately. As in, he doesn't even get a vote in who replaces him on the council. And so Magneto stomps off, but, I mean, really, what did he expect here, right? From here, we hop into an info page, and it's some sinister secrets. Ooh, actually, it's everyone's secrets. Hmm. Now, the secrets are... Mutant Magic Med L grants humans an extra five years of life, and that humanity still doesn't know about mutant immortality. Uh, Sinister rates this one as being known to all mutants. So this is really... This is kind of like a catch-up page, I think, here. As I mentioned, this is like a new a new start, a new jumping-on point. So, nice, quick, and dirty stuff here, but we'll, we'll keep going. Another secret. Maura McTaggart was the mutant who lived many lives. She remembered all of them, and she was also the straw that stirred the Krakoan drink. This is rated as being known to the Quiet Council, which is true. Next, Destiny was a no-go for resurrection, and Mystique would go into business for herself, swiping a Cerebro helmet and giving it to Hope. This one's rated as being known to only to those involved with the incident. Next, Doug Ramsey and Warlock integrated with Krakoa, and thereby knew all about Mora's presence. Now, Mora was depowered at the end of Inferno and then exiled, and this is rated as being known only to those involved. Next, Orcus does some stuff. The rating is not known. Next, the X-Men mind-wiped Ben Urich to prevent mutant immortality from coming out. Uh, This one was rated as being known to only those involved, and if you're following the flagship book, you'll know that Sink did the mind-wipe. Next up, Abigail Brand of Sword is working for Orcus. This one's rated as not being known by anybody. Finally, Mora's secret was, we always lose. This is rated as being known to the Quiet Council. And uh, like I said, this is a quick and dirty. It's a primer for the era. 
Uh, and it's kind of sad that we could fit all the important bits from the last 340 episodes of this show into a sparsely filled info page, isn't it? Uh, I've wasted so much time in my life, I guess. From here, back to comics, and it's our next scene. We get folks pitching to take Magneto's seat in the council. First up, Angel, the co-CXO of X-Corp, which is the second-worst X-Men book of all time, following X-Men Green, of course. We also get Penance, the other co-CXO. It's clear that there's a bit of a one-sided rivalry between the two here. Uh, Now, Monet claims not to want the seat, but we'll take it if they want to give it to Warren, because she'd do a better job. Have I mentioned that X-Corp sucked? It did. Next up, Gorgon, who we've only seen like once since X attends when he was killed in Otherworld. His pitch is just him saying, me. And uh, I I don't think he'll get the job based on that. Uh, Vulcan, the other, other, other Summers brother, he says he's overqualified since he was at one time the ruler of the Shi'ar Empire. Now he's depicted here as a lot different than the drunken mess we last saw him as. He's another we haven't seen on panel in ages, but I believe he's going to be playing a role in X-Men Red, so hey, why not reintroduce him here? Next up, Abigail Brand. Now, she doesn't care to join Krakoa, but would gladly take a seat of power. And she says that they can finally win if she's chosen. Finally, we get Beast. Now, he pitches on the basis that he's already overseeing X-Force. He claims that his current bout of ruthlessness would be a good enough substitute for Magneto... And then, then he does the most villainous thing yet and turns his presentation over to a PowerPoint slideshow. That'll about chill you to the bone, won't it? Um, From here, the uh, Quiet Council discusses the applicants. Kitty says that, uh, you know, Hank used to be fun, and she suggests that this shift to unfun started when he began dating Abigail Brand, which, I mean, that was like forever ago, but she might not be wrong. Now, uh, Hank, personally speaking, kind of got on my S-list around then, too, but it was mostly for siding with the Avengers over the X-Men in, like, every opportunity that he got. Nightcrawler makes the suggestion that maybe Legion get the seat. Xavier quickly kiboshes that before revealing that he'd offered Namor the spot, uh, but he said no. Again. Kitty asks if Doug wants the seat. I mean, oh, we're just offering it to anybody now, right? Uh, Now, Doug turns it down, commenting that it would be a conflict of interest of sorts, and uh, he's not wrong. Seems that none of the Iraqi want it either, since they prefer battling to the death for their positions of power and see being given, you know, a position as a great insult. From here, we hop to Arbor Magna, where the five resurrect somebody. Now, Exodus approaches Hope as the five head off on a pee break. He refers to her as the Messiah... She was, of course, the first mutant baby born after M-Day, though she doesn't really care for the moniker. He compares her to the Nazarene mutant, which is to say, Jesus Christ. Hmm. Does that mean that Jesus was a mutant? Am I reading that wrong? Huh. Well, maybe we'll talk about that later. Anyway, they chat, and they compare Wanda's waiting room to heaven. Now, Exodus claims that it really is heaven, but everybody is too scared to call it that. Hope then asks him to, you know, get to the friggin' point already. And the point is that he wants her for that vacant council seat. Speaking of which, back at the QC, Monet's favorite Nazi associate, Celine, is pleading her case for the spot. She compares her powers to those of a former council member, Apocalypse. As in, she do the hoodoo. 
She claims that uh, they never truly replaced him and reminds everybody that she once resurrected the entirety of Genosha. Kitty reminds her that they all came back as zombies. And uh, this is not a callback to Empire. This is a callback to Necrotia. I mean, we do repeat story concepts a whole bunch in the Marvel Universe, don't we? Now, Celine's pitch is interrupted by the arrival of Hope, who pretty much demands the vacant seat. Now, she says that the five need representation. She says that they've been good soldiers for a year now. So, the era is a year old now. Wasn't it like a month and a half between Hoxpox and Inferno? Uh, anyway, she stomps in, says, give me the seat, and then stomps out. Now, Celine is not digging this one bit, and she reminds everybody of the sacrifices she'd made. Well, the sacrifices her people made. You see, she's an external, and the external bones were used to concoct that stupid gateway into other world, yada, 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 yada. She stomps out, threatening to raise all sorts of hell should she not get the seat. And so, uh, no better time to vote than right now. Now, again, narration is all Mr. Sinister. Now, he thinks he knows the direction of this vote, and so he plans to vote against Hope getting the seat in order to give himself a bit of deniability. Now, you see, he needs Hope for the spot, for reasons not yet revealed, but he can't let anybody else know that. So he figures he can safely vote no, and the motion will still pass. So let's see if that does come to pass. Now, Xavier votes no, just as Sinister thought he would. Emma votes yes. You see, the Hellfire Quarter struck a deal with Exodus, who, as we just saw, was the driving force between, behind bringing Hope into the conversation. Colossus votes no, out of loyalty to Xavier. Mystique votes yes, since Hope helped bring Destiny back when no one else would. Sinister votes no. But then, Destiny also votes no. Now you see, Sinister was sure that Destiny would vote yes since Hope brought her back. And this throws a bit of a wrench into Sinister's plan. Nightcrawler votes no, out of loyalty to Xavier. Storm as well votes no. Exodus, unsurprisingly, votes yes. Now at this point in the vote, Sinister realizes he's all out of tricks, so he's got to play a card he wasn't expecting to. He requests to change his vote to yes. Now, this gives up his deniability, but it does ensure that the vote goes the way he needs it to. Shaw and Kitty round out the votes with yeses. The motion carries six to five. Hope is now a member of the Quiet Council. From here, we go to an info page, and these are immortal sinister secrets. One, which certain young lady is keeping private company with Mr. Sinister? I don't know. Two, something about hope and the weaponization of the Quiet Council. Three, something about writer's block and someone returning to writing. I don't know if this is a hint toward there being more Destiny Diaries. Maybe it's the Chronicler. Who, who knows? Four, did you know that we have another friggin' Hellfire Gala coming up? I mean, never forget, we're always on the precipice of another friggin' Hellfire Gala. I tell you, if the end of this era means no more galas, then sign me up. I can't wait. Uh, five, Judgment Day. That's the big summer cross event which, judging by Marvel's publication woes right now, might wind up being even further delayed than X of Swords was, and without a worldwide pandemic to blame. Six, an island nation will be destroyed, but not Krakoa. Seven, a blue mutant will see red. So I guess we got to keep an eye on Nightcrawler, Beast, Mystique, and uh, Rainboy? Hmm. 
8, something about Sinister's own immortality. And maybe uh, we'll be getting some retconny flashback stories filling in his past. 9, alluding to a traitor in the Quiet Council. Maybe. Number 10, someone who deserves it will be chucked into the pit. Number 11 just says, oh no. <laughs> Number 12 says, help. I wonder if uh, maybe Sinister himself might be the one chucked into the pit. Hmm. 13 plus, everything is fine. Okay, then. I tell you, these Sinister Secrets were a little bit more fun back in the long ago. Let's get back to comics where Xavier informs Celine that she didn't get the gig. And so, uh, well, she throws a bit of a tantrum, resurrecting the Eternal Gate as some sort of a monstrous centipede or something. Now, after exchanging some contentious words with Nightcrawler and Destiny, Sinister breaks away from the scene, returning to his secretist secret lab. Now, here, it's revealed that he's got... A whole bunch of Mora clones. Now, what he plans to do with them... I mean, I'm a dense fellow, so this is a little bit confusing for me. It looks like he's trying to figure out a way to get this resurrection power for himself. Uh, Maybe not... Maybe not for himself in, 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 like, inside his own body, but... Maybe he's trying to weaponize it. Maybe he's trying to uh, make it useful in some sort of a way that, that he could exploit. You know, the whole thing with coming back with all the memories of past lives, uh, I might, I'm probably wrong. I don't know. In any event, he talks about growing the clones and then killing them to start things over and over and over and over again. And we saw that he had like the 25 uh, earlier in this issue. And uh, I don't know if we're getting into like concepts like clone degradation. Is that the word? You know, like when you tape something on like an EP tape like five or six times and it's like really, really crappy at the end. And maybe it's something like that. I don't know. Anyway, that is our big cliffhanger here, but we do wrap up with several info pages here. Our first info page is the Quiet Council. It's an updated seating chart. Now Hope has been added to the Autumn Quarter in Magneto's spot. The next info page is a map of Krakoa. It's really nothing we haven't seen before, but like I said, I think Marvel's hoping that this is a lot of folks' first issue, right? Which, you know, I'll wager might be true even though all these first-time buyers are probably more interested in slabbing this thing without ever opening it. But I guess uh, in this market, we take the good and we take the bad. Now, in the interest and hope that maybe this is the first episode of X-Lapsed you're listening to, let's do a quick and dirty on this map here. It's uh, several locations. We start with the House of X, which is Xavier's home. The House of M, Magneto's home. Arbor Magna, which is the resurrection, you know, resurrection central. The arena, the former home of the Crucible, the Academos habitat where the young mutants live, and we see this often in the pages of New Mutants. The Oracle, which is the home of Mystique and Destiny. The Grove, the home of the Quiet Council Chamber. The Cradle, you know, one of several cradles, is where they keep Cerebro and the Cerebro backups. The Reservoir. I can't remember the Reservoir. The Wild Hunt. Now these are the training grounds that we see in New Mutants. Carousel, where the mutants dance and get drunk. Bar Sinister is Mr. Sinister's home. Hellfire Bay is where Hellfire Trading operates out of. The Red Keep, Kitty Pride's home. Blackstone, Sebastian Shaw's former home, I guess, because maybe it now belongs to Lourdes Chantal. I don't know. The White Palace, Emma Frost's home, or maybe her former home and where the cuckoos now reside. The External Gate, that boring old bone gate to Otherworld, now a giant centipede. We got Transit, the Atlantic Pacific Transit, which I guess might be a travel point dedicated solely to ocean hopping. 
We got Nanny's Cove. I'm guessing this is where Nanny lived before getting chucked into the pit. The Boneyard, X-Factor's headquarters, which I could have sworn was destroyed, but maybe not. The Bower is where people drop off their unwanted babies. The Fort? I don't know. The Crow's Nest? I don't know. Is that where Nightcrawler hung out? Uh, like on that cliffside to back in like X-Men number 7? I don't know. We've got the Voltus Glade, which has the landmark Sanctus, Sancru- Sanctus Sacrum. Now, this was the shrine or that stone summoning circle or whatever it was from Max of Thames. And, of course, we got the Green Lagoon, which is the bar. Krakoa's population is listed as being 204,372, which jives with Mr. Fantastic's estimate of uh, 200,000 back in X-Men Plus Fantastic Four number 2, which we discussed in episode 48. We got Krakoa outposts listed here. We got the altar, which is that thing in Legion's head from Way of X and now, I suppose, Legion of X. We got the Atlantic, which is another part of Krakoa, which is seldom, if ever, seen. Arako, Mars. The Grey Malkin Habitat, the old Xavier School. Island M, Magneto's old island base in the uh, Bermuda Triangle. We got Mykonos, which is that island that Magneto bought from Namor for Emma, home of the Hellfire Gala. Summer House, area of the moon where the summer zzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
And finally, the central column is headed by Dr. Killian Devo, who we've seen, you know, since the start of this era. And that is where we leave it. Next time out, I believe we'll be discussing the uh, the long-awaited Sabretooth number two. And I, yeah, it's so weird. Marvel's um, release schedule right now is, I, I think it's safe to call it a mess, because it's just... Lord only knows when books are coming out, if books are coming out, if books are coming out in, in one piece or not. So um, I don't know if this was just a matter of this book coming out later or just me getting it really, really late. So I, it, t- it felt like it took forever to get uh, issue two of Sabretooth, but we'll finally be discussing it next time out. But for now, well, let's talk about this one, which I tell you what, it was uh, it was pretty great. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a uh, very, very strong outing, which... You know, I, I don't remember which book we talked about where I mentioned that it was, you know, an excellent first issue, or a perfect first issue is one where you get enough information to where a newcomer can come in and, you know, not feel uh, totally lost, but it also uh, it also rewards the longtime reader, the longtime fan, by giving enough new information. This book was just like a real. It hit that sweet spot in that we got a lot of the backstory delivered in ways that were not. It wasn't like you know we were being hammered over the head with it. It was just like here's the information you need. It's not a lecture. It's not an exposition dump. It's very very organic, very very naturally just sharing this information. And on top of that, we get enough new. We get enough forward momentum to let us know that we are actually headed in a direction rather than treading water, which has been, you know, my go-to complaint for so many of these books. And not just recently, but for ever since we started this uh, project. So this is a really, really good first issue. I'm not entirely sold that this needs to be a forever book. And I mean... We could, you know, ask questions like, what even is an ongoing anymore? You know, we, we won't get into that because I think we all have the same sort of, uh, we all have the same sort of observations about how uh, books that are introduced as ongoings aren't always going to be ongoings here. Now, I say this because the title of this story isn't like Sinister Secrets Part 1, yada, yada, yada. It's just Part 1, which... I don't know if that says something about this being an opening arc, or if this is just going to be a self-contained sort of thing. I mean, this might be a hint that this will wrap itself up after telling the story that it's intending to tell, and that's fine. And it's also, you know, rumored to have been the original Hickman plan to begin with. You know, we, we would have the we would have our six ongoings, and they would tell their story and then be replaced by the next slew of ongoings. I don't know if maybe that's the direction they're going to go with Destiny of X. And I mean, as much as I love this, and I really, really did, I'm just not sure that... I mean, is this going to be like a, a different... Are we going to get like 12 issues of this, where each issue is from the point of view of a different Quiet Council member? I mean, that could be really, really good. That could really set a foundation for this era. So maybe that's what they're going to do. Who knows? I, I, I've got no insider knowledge. You guys know that. Now, we come to this series after Zlato. Zlato, right? Now, when we looked at Zlato, Zlato, I think some of the biggest complaints that folks had was that it wasn't the follow-up or successor to the Hickman run that everybody seemed to be hoping for. This, Immortal X-Men, kind of feels more like it. 
Only difference between Gillen and Hickman is that Gillen actually seems to know how to write characters, so it's actually a, a step up. Uh, not only that, but, you know, he can write characters from before the summer of 2019, and, uh, I mean, believe it or not, there were actually X-Men comics back then. But I feel like all the characterization and the motivations were done just superbly here. Everybody, it made sense for everybody to act the way that they were acting. And anybody who was acting questionably, I'm completely confident that that's going to be paid off here. Because we've got Destiny who's acting a little bit weird. But that's, you know, almost certainly intentional and will, I would assume, pay off before long. Let's see here, what else can we talk about here? I don't want to go too deep because we do get a lot of information. And I feel like a lot of this is going to pay off in in other books uh, in the line here. This feels kind of like, you know, like an X-Men Prime in a way, where it's like, here is the new era, and we're going to branch off into all these books with all these new concepts and ideas. So I don't want to go too deep into the weeds here because we will be definitely going into the weeds as we move forward. Just a couple of things to talk about. The Mora reveal. Can you believe it's been like three years and we're still saying this? <laughs> the Mora reveal? It was... I mean, I don't know about all of you, but uh, I saw this thing coming a mile away because, I mean, who else could it have been? It had to be. It had to be Mora to, to be the big reveal. I, I feel like with her, we're hitting that whole diminishing returns thing here. Um... Uh, I'm not really sure if it, if it carries the weight it once did. I mean, I'm completely, you know, prepared to be 100% wrong and just be blown away by what comes out of this, but it was one of those things where when we saw it, I audibly groaned because it was just like, maybe we put her back in the toy box for a little bit. You know, maybe we build some other stuff. Maybe it's just the poor timing of coming out, you know, on the heels of Zlato, Zlato where Mora was just... I mean, we could probably all agree that that was a very weird Mora story, and uh, maybe it should have been the last Mora story for at least a little while, you know? But uh, what are you going to do? The last thing I want to talk about here is potentially dicey. Um, We hear about a certain Nazarene mutant. I don't know if I read this right. I may have been, you know, I may be imagining things here, but is this... The suggestion that Jesus is or was a mutant. Because, hmm, if so, uh, we talk about the Nazarene mutant in the same conversation we talk about Wanda's heavenly waiting room. If Jesus was a mutant, does that mean he could be resurrected in current day? That's that's a pretty spicy meatball, isn't it? <laughs> um, I... You know, that is, that's a, I I, I hasten to use the word uh, problematic, but that is a, uh, that's a troubling concept that I don't know that there's a, uh, that there's a writer with the tact to handle that the way it might need to be handled. I'm not sure what I'd want out of it. And I mean, I don't, I don't see myself as someone who shies away from a controversial story. I remember being very annoyed when Marvel backpedaled uh, it during the Ecstatics run, where they were going to put Princess Diana on the team, and they uh, they buckled and they went with some generic like Princess Henrietta's what's her face, and uh, I remember being pretty disappointed by that. Not not because I wanted the story to be necessarily provocative. I just wondered what the uh, 
I wondered what they could get out of it. I wondered if they could make an interesting story that was res- maybe not so much respectful, but as respectful as possible, and um, still tell a uh, an engaging story. So I'm not really, you know, against it on its face, but at the same time, maybe, maybe a part of me hopes it just doesn't get mentioned again because. Uh, that could become ugly very, very quickly to have uh, have Jesus return on Krakoa and uh, have his word balloons filled by a Marvel Comics writer. I, I don't know. I guess it all depends on where you stand. But, uh, I mean, that's a very, very interesting concept. There might be meat on that bone. I really don't know. I honestly don't even know where I stand, but it really doesn't matter where I stand. I want to know where all of you stand. And so I invite you all to write in with your opinions, call in with your opinions, let me know your thoughts on not only the, uh, you know, the Jesus aspect, but the book in its entirety. I would love to hear your thoughts. I would love to have those conversations. So if you'd like to reach out to me, I would encourage you to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You could join our little Facebook group, which is 90sXmen on Facebook. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the voicemail hotline at a number I probably should have written down. Um, 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes and a whole lot more, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can also head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com for the complete audio archives. It's X-Lapse, it's Cosmic Treadmill, it's all sorts of stuff. Thousands of hours of audio just waiting for your ears. But I think that's where we're going to do it today. I'm looking at my audio track count on Audacity, and we are well into the triple digits. So um, I had to stop this recording many, 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 many times. So maybe I'm less ready for this than I thought. But um, in any event, I would like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me today. It really does mean the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh